0: go to 1 John again, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this verse Um, and uh, my intention uh, for tonight's message is that we need to interpret it, it, understand it in its own context, so that's what I'm going to do So let's read verse 13. Now, these things I have written to you. So the apostle John here here is revealing the reason why he wrote the entire letter to his recipients. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. That's what it means here. You may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So what is the relationship between genuine faith and assurance of eternal life? Some Christians think that genuine faith and assurance of salvation are the same things. And they argue that when faith comes, assurance automatically comes as well. So if a person doesn't have full assurance of their salvation, he or she is not a believer at all. Let me define what assurance means here. Christian assurance refers to a believer's confidence that he or she is in a right relationship with God, which will lead to ultimate salvation. And one of the tendencies of of the people who identify faith with assurance is that they tie assurance exclusively to saving faith and divorce assurance from any support in a transformed life. what they argue is you, you shouldn't look at your life to be assured of your salvation but rather you look at your confession of faith that's what gives you confidence about your eternity so why would they relate assurance only to faith and not to a transformed life transformed life they reason in the following way since faith and assurance are identical If our assurance depends on observing behavioral changes in our lives, faith will also depend on our living a holy life. And of course, living a holy life always requires works. So to link assurance in any way to a transformed life is to corrupt the salvation of free grace and turn it into works salvation. Do you follow their reasoning? And one of the most frequently cited verses by these people is today's verses. Today's verse. First John 5:13. John reads, uh, John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So to know, know that we have eternal life, or to have the assurance of eternal life, there are you. All that is required is to believe in the name of Jesus. Because believing in the name of Jesus excludes works, they conclude that a transformed life has nothing to do with one's assurance of salvation. What do you think about their reasoning? Frankly speaking, I grew up with this idea. Actually, I was taught growing up in the church that you shouldn't base your assurance on your transformed life. Rather, what you confess is important, more important. And and I I met some, you know, some extreme cases, like I pray the prayer (laughs) so that I am a believer. And actually some people like interpret this verse in that light. But if we understand 1 John 5, 13, apart from its context, their reasoning sounds actually correct. So we just take it out of the context and then read verse, you know, thirteen, and then just reason from there. They may sound correct, yet First John three five thirteen doesn't exist in a vacuum, and it can only be properly understood when it is interpreted in light of its context. So before we launch into the main points of today's message, today's message, tonight's message, I want to point out two preliminary facts about this verse. First. Unlike the people who claim that the absence of assurance indicates the absence of faith, 1 John 5.13 itself testifies that Christians who have genuine faith can struggle with their assurance of salvation. In this verse, John explains why he wrote the entire letter of 1 John. Again, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He, These are believers, true believers, that you may know that you have Eternal life. John was writing to the people who believed in Jesus, and yet these people were wondering if they had eternal life. What does does it, it mean? It means that some of the recipients of John's letter were true believers, and at the same time, they lacked the assurance of eternal life. So this first basic fact logically leads us to the second basic fact. Second, Faith and assurance are not the same things. If there were genuine believers who were struggling with assurance and John needed to write a letter to assure them that they had eternal life, the argument that faith and assurance are the same things fails terribly. It is absolutely true that we are saved by faith apart from works. No doubt about that. But it doesn't mean that assurance has to automatically follow faith apart from a transformed life. That's the the argument of John in his entire letter. So tonight, by interpreting 1 John 5.13 in light of its context, I want to show you that our assurance of eternal life doesn't depend on a mere mouth confession of faith. Yes, assurance depends on our believing in Jesus, and believing in Jesus requires a mouth confession Yet I want to emphatically emphasize that our believing in Jesus has to be more than a one-time mouth confession of faith. Believing is not just confessing, but believing is be-living. There's a title of tonight's message. Believing is be-living. Our believing in Jesus is intimately and organically related to our daily living In Jesus, whom we believe in. So this is a thesis for tonight. The assurance of eternal life depends on the living and active faith that brings forth the objective fruit of its genuineness. Let me say it again. The assurance of eternal life depends on the living and active faith that brings forth the objective fruit of its genuineness. So we are going to study three things tonight. First, the nature of genuine faith. And second, the nature of eternal life. And the third, the nature of assurance of salvation. First, what is the nature of genuine faith? Faith, Genuine faith is alive and active. Believing in the name of the Son of God, John says, this phrase is much more than a mere mouth confession that we believe in Jesus. In his gospel and letters, the Apostle John predominantly uses the verb believe instead of using the noun faith. Actually, it might be a little surprising to you. In the Gospel of John, in 1 John, John uses the verb believe about 107 times. And then he used the noun faith only once. He never uses the word noun faith in the Gospel, but he uses it once in 1 John, it is really different from the other Gospels. Matthew uses uh, 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 faith fourteen times, and Mark uses eleven times, and Luke uses nine times. And even um, the Apostle Paul, he uses faith—the noun faith—a lot. He uses almost like one hundred fifty times in his letters, while using believe as a verb about sixty times. So, so we can be sure, assured that there was a reason why he did that. Why do you think John overwhelmingly prefers the present verb believe over the noun faith? Of course, there's nothing wrong with faith, but John wanted to emphasize something. I believe it is because John wants to emphasize the present and active nature of saving faith in Jesus, the Son of God. For John, genuine faith is never dormant or passive. Rather, saving faith in believers is always alive and active. The reason John had to emphasize the living and active nature of saving faith was that there were a danger of having a faith in vain. Having a faith that is not alive and that is not active. One of the major reasons John wrote his first letter was to assure the recipients of of, of their genuine faith, which was different from the phony faith of those who used to be part of that faith community. Actually one of the major reasons why John wrote this letter was to assure these people who are wondering about their eternal life, whether the people who used to be part of them but now they are gone and they are wondering what they should do with that. So Paul talks uh, John talks about uh, this kind of people. Let's go to chapter 2, First John chapter 2, verse 18. John says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, and they were not of us. You see, the Antichrist that John is talking about were part of this community, but they are not with them any longer. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. So some of the believers who were remaining in the church began to wonder if they had made the right decision to remain in that faith community. This confusion among the believers implies that many of the people who left the church seemed to be genuine believers. Actually, the many of them who left were probably influential leaders of the church, and then they seem to be true believers. But their pretense became evident by their sudden denial of the messiahship of Jesus Christ and their rejection of the doctrine of incarnation. So chapter 2, verse 22, we see that these people who left the church deny the messiahship of Jesus, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And also the people who left the church rejected the doctrine of the the incarnation, that Jesus the Messiah had come in the flesh. That's chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So the people who didn't have genuine faith couldn't stand the sound doctrines about Jesus Christ. So they separated themselves from the church. So it is very interesting that a similar incident is recorded in the 8th chapter of John's Gospel. So let's go to John 8. Here John records about certain Jews who believed in Jesus. John eight thirty John Reed records, as he spoke these words, many believed in Jesus. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. So John is emphasizing here, these people, these Jewish people who are listening to Jesus' teachings, they believed in him. And Jesus says like this, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And while John says that they believed in Jesus, Jesus' is teaching that they needed to be set free from their bondage made a big scratch in their pride. So they answered in verse 33, they answered him, we are Abram's descendants, and you, I have never been in bondage to anyone. It's very interesting. They are so blinded. They are in the bondage of Roman Empire. They say they've never. They were in bondage of you know uh, Babylon before, but they say they've never. They're so blinded. And then they say, how can you say you will be made free? Uh, you will be made free. And Jesus answered to them in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. So now, Jesus speaking to the people who said to be believing in Jesus, verse thirty-three. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You see here, there were genuine, uh, there there were a group of believers in John's community who seemed to be genuine believers, but they couldn't stand the sound doctrines anymore. They left, and that's how Jesus is describing of these people who were supposedly. Believing in Jesus, you cannot stand my word, my teaching. Verse 44 is really important. You are of your father. Who is the father? The devil. And the the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his, uh, his own resources for he is a liar and a, the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. How did the passage begin? John said they believed Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't believe me. So look at how the Jews who believed in Jesus responded to Jesus' teaching. Verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. We can conclude, what we can conclude from the story in John 8, and also the teaching we find in 1 John, is that there are people who believe Jesus in vain. They seemingly believe in Jesus outwardly, but they don't really believe in Jesus. Um, They profess their faith in Jesus, but their profession is empty because their faith was not genuine faith from the beginning. So what makes the difference between that genuine faith and phony faith? It depends on who creates that faith. So let's come back to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, John says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Actually, it's a perfect tense, so you can translate it this way. Whoever believes in, that Jesus Christ is the Christ is had been born of God. The reason we could believe Jesus is that God enabled us to do so. Our origin, the origin of our faith is God. So it is just like we can love only because love comes from God. That's what we learned this morning, right? So chapter four, verse seven, John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. Again, if we... The fact that we can love is because this love is from God. And the fact that we can believe is because this believing is from God. The new in faith in Jesus Christ is always God made. And the God made faith in us carries the power of God. So chapter five, verse four, John says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? our faith. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So verse 13, John says, whoever believes in the name of the Son of God has eternal life. And that belief there is the same belief in verse 5. Whoever believes that the Son of God has overcome the world with that faith. So when John said that those who believe in the name of Jesus can know that they have eternal life, he meant that the people who have the faith of verses 4 and 5 can know that they have eternal life. Not the people who just have the mouth confession but no power to overcome the world, but the people who have the faith that overcomes the world. So what's the problem with phony faith then? It is a man-made faith and has no power to overcome the world. The people who have this kind of faith cannot and will not continue to believe in the name of the Son of God and leave the faith community in the end. That's what happened to the people who left John's community. Of course, there are always false believers who remain in false churches, right? And in that case, they will continue to remain in their false churches. So we got to be a little, you know, wise in our decision making there. But let me repeat what I just taught you. Genuine faith is alive and active because it is originated from the living and powerful God. And now let's move on to the second topic of tonight's message, eternal life. So what is the nature of eternal life? Some of us might think that eternal life merely refers to a life that lasts forever, but it is much more than that. Of course, eternal life is life that lasts forever, but it's much more than that. So second point, eternal life is a person who is alive and active in us. Eternal life is not an object. It's a person who is alive and active in us. The immediate context of today's text proves my second point. So chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, John says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in who? Is in Jesus, his son. And he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So those who have eternal life have the Son, because that life is hidden in the Son. But if if the if if the people if people don't have the Son, they don't have eternal life. So what's important to remember concerning eternal life is that we can never separate eternal life eternal life from Jesus Christ Himself. The reason we have eternal life is not that we have received it from God apart from Jesus Christ. Rather, what we received from God is Jesus Christ, who has eternal life in himself. And to make it more precise, Jesus Christ himself is eternal life. This is not my language. Let's let's go to chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus Christ which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The word of life, who is it? Jesus Christ, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You see here, John says the eternal life was with the Father. Who is this eternal life? Jesus himself. And let's go to, go back to chapter 5 and verse 20. As John is wrapping up his letter, he says it, he puts it this way. Chapter 5, verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, in his son Jesus Christ. This son, Jesus Christ, is the true God and what? Eternal life. You see the connection there again? So when John uses the term eternal life in 1 John five thirteen, he didn't just mean that this is a life that lasts forever, but he's pointing us to who this eternal life is, which, whom they have, who is the son of God, the person of Jesus Christ. So it, it is a side note, but it is important to understand the way John uses the term eternal life and the way Paul uses the same term are a little different. Of course, both include the idea of unlike life that lasts forever. Yet for Paul, eternal life is an astrological reality, meaning that believers will still wait for this eternal life. So when Paul uses the term eternal life, his, his language is that we will have it when Christ comes back. So we will receive it in the future. That's, that's the way Paul uses the term eternal life. But John uses the same term with a slightly different nuance. For John, eternal life is not only something believers will receive in the future, but also something they enjoy right now on earth, which is realized as Cathology. Eternal life has already come. So John could use the term in this way because he identified eternal life with the person of Jesus Christ who dwells in believers today. So coming back to our main discussion, what is the implication of the truth that Jesus Christ himself is eternal life? This truth indicates that we can never claim eternal life apart from living in Jesus, apart from living with Jesus, apart from living through Jesus, and apart from living for Jesus, who is himself eternal life. So if you want to claim eternal life, you have to prove to God that you have Jesus Christ in you. That's John's point. Just like our faith is alive and active, eternal life in us is alive and active. Why? Because eternal life is not just an object but a person, the person of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Here's my concern for those who simply cite 1 John 5.13 to give assurance to the people who doubt their salvation. They flatten the meanings of faith in eternal life and don't even discuss the natures of genuine faith and eternal life when they give assurance to people who are struggling with their salvation. The assurance of salvation. For them, faith is a simple mouth confession and no more. But the Bible says that genuine faith is much more than a mouth confession. It is alive and active to the degree of overcoming the world, right? So that's John's argument in 5 verses 4 and 5. And again, for the people who cite First John five thirteen out of context, eternal life is like an object they can receive as a gift. But eternal life... John, John is talking about is not a mere object. It is a person of the Son of God. A person who has eternal life as Jesus Christ and the same naturally walks and fellowships with Jesus Christ every day. And this intimate fellowship with Christ makes us walk in the light every day because Jesus Christ himself is the light. That's the whole argument of chapter 1 again. Now we have studied the natures of faith and eternal life Let's move on to the nature of assurance of salvation. Number three, assurance of eternal life is for those who continue to live out their faith today. So John again says, chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. This is the point John is trying to make you must continue to believe in the same name of the Son of God. John constantly uses the present verb believe to remind his readers that believing in Jesus must be a present reality. In other words, a person who says that he used to believe Jesus but does not believe in him anymore doesn't have eternal life. To make it more precise, he has never had eternal life. You know, some believers actually believe that you can use your eternal life, lose your eternal life, but I don't think that's possible. But this is radically different from the people who interpret John's verb believe as referred refer to a one-time mouth confession. One scholar who misunderstands the nature of faith in this way once wrongly argued that true believers can cease the name, the name of Jesus, and deny the faith complete, completely. Unlike this confused scholar, John is very clear that genuine faith must be alive today as much as it was yesterday. A person who truly believed in Jesus 10 years ago is supposed to believe Jesus today and he will continue to believe Jesus 10 years later. Assurance of eternal life is for those who live out this living and active faith every day. We have already studied the close connection between faith and being born as a child of God. So, those who have believed in Jesus are the children who have been born of God. And those who have been born of God bear characters of God who is their Father. Right? Just like Silas looks like me, we must look like the Father in heaven. Assurance of eternal life is not for those who believe Jesus with the mere mouth confession, but for those who bear the characters, their Father in heaven. So what are the characteristics of the Father in heaven? First, truth. Those who can claim assurance of eternal life is the people who walk in truth. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But we say we have fellowship with Him and we truly walk in light, it means we have the truth in us. Verse 7, but if we walk in light, in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we say we do have sin and confesses the truth, then the truth is in us. So you see here the first character of the genuine believers is they walk in truth and they live in truth. And second characteristics of the Heavenly Father is righteousness. So those who can claim assurance of salvation is the people who practice righteousness. Let's move on to chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that God is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. You see here the argument? God is righteous. So if you are born of God, then you will practice righteousness. And chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we will be, but we know that when he's revealed, when Christ is revealed, we will be like him, for we shall see him as He is. And verse 3 is extremely important. And everyone who has this hope in him Does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. So if we say we have this hope that we will see Jesus as he is, the proof of this hope, this lively hope, is that today we purify ourselves. Again, those who can claim assurance of eternal life is the people who purify themselves daily. And what is the third characteristics of uh, the Heavenly Father? That's love. And we discussed it this morning so we don't have to dwell on it long. But those who can claim assurance of eternal life is the people who, who love their brothers. So 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Their origin is from God and their knowledge of God Bring them to do this, loving others. And I promised this morning that uh, I'm going to give you a hint that uh, loving others doesn't have to be hard. And I want you to get this. Let's go to chapter 5, verse 1 again. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. It's a little complicated here, but what it means is everyone who is born of God will love the people who are born of God. So basically, if you're born of God, you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So what's the what was the, the new covenant Christ gave has given to us? You love one another just like I have loved you, right? And this is something that we have to keep. And verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And and his commandments are not, what? Burdensome. The principle is love, again. Have you been crazy about your boyfriend or your girlfriend? I know a story of my friend who was about 19, and his girlfriend now who is his uh, wife. She went to school, college in South Carolina, and he was living in West Virginia. But at night, one night, he just wanted to see her so badly. And he took off without gas money from West Virginia to South Carolina. And at a gas station, he begged for money, and he filled up his car and went to see her. You see how crazy that is? It's quite burdensome to drive from West Virginia to South Carolina without gas money, isn't it? But For him, it wasn't burdensome. Why? Because he loved her. And I know what that feels. So that's John's argument here. You've been loved by God immensely. And if you have been loved by God immensely, I know you love him immensely, so this commandment to love each other shouldn't be so burdensome for you because you love him so much. You see? Again, the assurance of eternal life is for those who live out this living and active faith every day. And their lives bear these these characters. Again, truth, righteousness, and love. Why? Because they are born of God who is truth, righteousness, and love. And I, I think American culture is this. Um, you kind of joke about the origin of your children. Actually, you're not my son, but a train brought you a baby, baby. So we have a similar thing, actually, in South Korea. So Korean parents sometimes joke about their, the origin of their children. And when I was about six, my mom made a confession to me, which shattered the, the entire Life and the world that I was living in. She said, hey, Joe, I have to confess to you. I'm not your mom. I picked you up from under a bridge. That's our train. I picked you up under a bridge. And my worldview was shaking. And I lost the the assurance that I was her son. It was an assurance crisis. Looking back, of course, I'm not telling you you should do that to your children. I would never do that. She lied about it, so it was plainly lies. So she shouldn't done it. Should do it anymore. But the thing is, you see, looking back, it's funny to me now. It's silly. You know why? If you look at my eyes, if you look at her eyes, we have the same eyes. If you look at her nose and my nose, they are the same. If you look at her lips and my lips, they are the same. And even we smile the same way. And most of all, I have her temper (laughs) as well. You see, she's my mom. I don't have to do a DNA test to assure myself that I am her son. That's John's point here, dear brothers and sisters. You don't have to worry about your origin if you have the characteristics of your Heavenly Father. Do you live in truth? Don't worry. Do you practice righteousness? Don't worry. Do you love your brothers? Don't worry. The people who left, they are the ones who are cursed. You are the ones who are blessed. So dear brothers and sisters, don't worry. That's what John is doing through 1 John 5, 13. I want to give you two caveats. I'm not, promoting, I'm, I'm not promoting perfectionism. John already clearly stated that claiming to be sinless is making God a liar. Right? We read it already, John 1, 1 John 1:10. 1, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John's point is not whether we perfectly keep God's commandments or whether we perfectly love one another without failures. Rather, his point is whether we continue to strive to keep God's commandments despite failures. Whether we continue to strive, love one another despite inevitable failures. It's not about not failing at all, but it's about what you do after you fail. Can you get back up with the might and strength from above and you can try to do and practice righteousness again after you bombed it? Then I can tell you, you have that character of righteousness that is in the Father. You might have failed in loving others. And my question is not, you're done. Because my answer is not, you're done. But hey, brother, hey, sister, why don't you love your spouse back again because you're born of God. Despite the failures you have had, you can still love again. So that's what John is trying to say. Didn't David David commit horrible sins? How did he end his life? He was fully restored and he was serving God faithfully again. Didn't Peter commit horrible betrayal to our Lord how did he end his life? He, was, he died for the Lord. How did John Mark end his life after he abandoned Paul in the mission field? John, uh, Paul says, I'm sorry, he, John Mark abandoned Paul. Paul said, he's my beloved brother in the Lord, he's a faithful worker of mine, so receive him just like you received me. You see here, the true believers will demonstrate their genuine faith even after they fail horribly that's my point and that's John's point point. and again the second caveat I'm not promoting works righteousness I'm not saying that by bearing the fruit of truth love and righteousness you must become children of God that's not what I'm saying I'm not saying that by doing these things you will have genuine faith that's not my point what I'm saying is this because you are already born of God you will do these things Because you have already believed in the Son of God, you will bear the fruit of faith that is truth, that is righteousness, and that is love. Here's a conclusion for tonight. Assurance of salvation, eternal life, is not something stagnant or never changes. On a positive note, we can make our assurance of salvation more vivid by living out the faith we have in Christ. Your assurance is not something that you once get it and then you, it just stays just like that. No, you will receive your assurance if you have true faith. And what you need to do is you need to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So let's go to Hebrews. I'm going to show you two passages that support my argument here. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. The author of Hebrews says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to where? To what? To the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The author of Hebrews urging us to add to our assurance so that our assurance will be full assurance. You see the progress there? It's not that you, okay, I believe so I have assurance. Don't stay there, the author of Hebrews says. Keep moving toward it. You'll have greater assurance. You'll enjoy your life in a greater way because your work of love, the fruit of faith, will prove to you that you are truly children of God. And now, the second passage, 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, the the apostle Peter says, Therefore, brothers be even more diligent, again, same language. Author of Hebrews said, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And Peter says, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, be diligent. To make your call and election sure. What is saying here? Make your assurance more vivid every day. By, by what? Let's move on to, uh, move back a little bit to verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, again, the diligence part, at your faith, what? Virtue to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Again, Peter is dealing with assurance issues. You have faith, right? You have God, salvation, but to your faith add these virtues. Why? To make your call and election sure. and You will not need to struggle with the assurance of salvation because the fruits that are overflowing out of your life, your heart, are pointing you to the truth that you are truly born of God. So that's what John's saying. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. That's what Peter's saying. So I want you to be aware, fully grasping this truth. That let's not stop with the fact that we have assurance of salvation. But let's keep moving on to bear much more fruit so that we will make our call and election sure. Let's pray. Brothers, Father, thank you so much for.